uh, been a great pleasure to uh, be in Beijing over the past couple of weeks and see so many of you and, and see the, how Capital Community continues and as, as fruitful as ever. Uh, this is the last Sunday that we will be with you, Iris and I, but we hope to get back at least once a year uh, in the years to come, Lord willing, so we look forward to seeing you, those of you who remain apologize for the voice this morning. I've got some kind of bug the last couple of days, so I'm refusing to shake hands this morning, so I won't pass along that blessing. When I was in college, uh, I became interested in psychology and took three or four courses in developmental psychology. Uh, Developmental psychology is a division of psychological studies that identifies uh, obstacles or challenges that most of us encounter uh, over the course of a lifetime. Uh, One of the assumptions of this area of study is that if we can identify the obstacles and challenges uh, that we'll face and manage them well, uh, we can mature uh, spiritually and emotionally in our relationships and have a better quality of life. Um, If we don't identify those obstacles and challenges and we get blindsided, don't know how to manage them, uh, life can be like riding in a canoe on a fast-moving river and striking an unseen rock and potentially capsizing. Well, two developmental obstacles or challenges Uh, that many of us face, many people face, uh, first are resolving guilt uh, and experiencing self-acceptance, one, and and another one is overcoming self-defeating habits and developing productive ones. Now, for two Sundays, we're studying a word that's used 77 times in the New Testament, The English transliteration of the Greek word is euangelion, which is on the overhead there. Jesus used this word to describe his teaching. The Apostle Paul used it to describe his. And as we discussed last week, the word simply means good news. Seventy-seven times in the New Testament, this word good news uh, is contained in the New Testament. So it's just a repeated refrain. It means information that produces encouragement and strength Excuse me, in the uh, minds and hearts of those who hear it and understand it. So in our remaining time with you this morning, I just want to think through with you how the good news in the New Testament, or two pieces of it, can help us and these two particular uh, developmental challenges that we may face or we may are we may currently be facing so one developmental obstacle number one resolving guilt and experiencing self-acceptance uh, psychologist Alice Miller uh, wrote uh, research reveals that many people suffer all their lives from oppressive feelings of guilt painful feelings of moral or relational failure. Often, no counsel can dissuade a person from their guilt feelings because these feelings can have their beginnings 
in life's earliest stages and draw their intensity from it. Guilt is one of the most powerful of all obstacles to emotional health. Uh, Though this is not a subject that we routinely talk about with our friends, many of us uh, struggle with uh, feelings of guilt, maybe something that we did years ago, some bad choice, uh, either moral or social or relational, some event that we were engaged in uh, can come to mind and we experience very painful feelings of regret and self-rejection remorse. And because those kinds of memories for some of us can come back over and over again, we may feel like I'm never going to get free of this. Well, the Bible talks a lot about guilt, talks about this developmental obstacle, and uh, it first of all tells us that objectively speaking, in fact, in some areas we are guilty. But it also tells us how we may experience forgiveness, how we can receive it, how we can feel it, and then as a result of that, grow in a sense of self-acceptance and a comfort in our own skin. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 and verse 33, we, we looked at this passage last week. The Apostle Paul says, all people are under the power of sin. No one is righteous, not even one. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So this passage teaches us that in some respects, we are all under this force, this power on earth. And it's as if our operating system has been infected with a bad virus And that virus leads us instinctively at times to pull away from God, to withdraw from him, and to be attracted to and drawn toward very self-defeating choices and uh, sometimes deadly choices that are hurtful to us and the people around us. Um, One of the fascinating aspects of reading the Bible is it contains so much biographical information about men and women uh, who have wrestled with the power of sin in their life and in their circumstances. So the Bible provides us all this fascinating information. Okay, this is this person. This is what they encountered in their struggle with this issue. And this is how they moved through it, either successfully or unsuccessfully. Contains lots of uh, stories of relative effectiveness and success and those who were not so uh, successful. In Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 24, Paul explains how we may be absolved of this guilt. And that was the principal focus of our teaching last week. Romans 3, 24, those who believe are justified freely by his grace, by God's grace. Those who believe are justified. When we understand the unique extraordinary identity of Jesus, that he is the only begotten of God. He is God who has come among us, and we understand what he has done for us. We then recognize that, hey, yeah, I'm under the power of sin. I have fallen short of God's glorious standard. I have a need. It's said that Christianity is the way of humility. Other religious systems our efforts and attempts to make ourselves right with God through self-effort. 
But Christianity can be described as the effort, uh, the, the approach of humility in recognizing that we cannot do that and that God has done something on our behalf that we can receive and then be justified. Now, this word justified is uh, a word that has a forensic meaning in the period of Paul's era. It was like being declared innocent in a court of law. So... If you and I believe in Jesus, at some point in that process, it's as if God bangs the court gavel down, legally or forensically speaking, and he says, not guilty, innocent of all uh, convictions here. And that decision on his part, scripturally speaking, is eternal. And that's the astonishing news, the New Testament. When that happens, we are embraced by the Lord, we are accepted, we are forgiven, and that bond cannot be broken. Jesus said, no one can take you out of my hand, that is those who believe, and no one can take us out of the Father's hand. So he labors to make the point that we are secure in his forgiveness and acceptance. But Paul also talks about guilt feelings. It's one thing to be declared innocent. It's quite another to feel that way, particularly if we've made some choices in the past that we are not pleased with or that cause us to experience guilt. But Paul says in Romans chapter 4, he says, Blessed, and this word simply means joyful. Joyful are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Joyful are those whose sins the Lord will not take into account. So once we are declared righteous in justification, he is never going to take into account our sins. This is an astonishing teaching, and Paul sometimes received a lot of criticism because, and you see him addressing that criticism in the book of Romans, because the, the countervailing argument, what are you talking about? If God accepts a person eternally and and on the condition purely of Jesus' behavior or choice and sacrifice for us, doesn't that mean that that leads to a life of license? Paul says, no way. When the Spirit of Christ comes to live within you and me, it affects inevitably a type of change. It's a new type of programming. And as we learn about that, as we grow in that, as we collaborate and and choose to align ourselves, our life with it, there will inevitably be change that is a reveals the truth of what the scripture teaches. Now, whether or not we feel forgiven is often the result of our background. If you grew up in a loving, open, emotionally engaged, affirming, forgiving family, you're going to find it relatively easy to feel forgiven. Uh, If, however, you grew up in a highly critical uh, family or with with highly critical or high-demand, low-grace parents that perhaps were emotionally isolated or aloof or had very difficult or maybe even impossible expectations, feeling forgiven is going to be much more difficult for you. And if that's the case, you're going to have to overcome a lot of programming uh, to sense the reality of what Paul is talking about here. Now, one of the most moving descriptions 
of a person who has experienced forgiveness or is experiencing forgiveness uh, in the New Testament is the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. I don't have the passage up there, but many of you recall in that chapter, uh, Jesus is having dinner with one of his friends, Simon, who was a Pharisee. He was one of the religious leaders. So he was invited for dinner. He goes there. And as they were in Simon's home with a broader group of people, number of people there, a woman describes as a sinner, quite possibly some sort of prostitute, because that was a phrase that was sometimes used for, for a woman like that, came in uninvited, pushed her way into this party, and that passage says that she fell at Jesus' feet and began weeping and uh, says, in fact, that his feet became wet with her tears as she was weeping and no doubt embracing his legs and his feet. Uh, And then once she was weeping and then anointed his feet or poured this perfume on his feet and then wiped it up with her hair, now, that, that is an amazing description of what went on that evening and that party. This woman seems to be debasing herself before Jesus, uh, and this appears to be the only time uh, in Scripture uh, that Jesus permitted someone to do something like that to him. Why? Well, I think probably it was because he saw that something very important is going on here in this woman's life. To use modern terminology, this is very therapeutic for her. I think she had discerned in his character, in his demeanor, in his teaching, that this is a person unlike any I have ever encountered. This is a person of forgiveness, of loving kindness and acceptance, And she had seen that and experienced some measure of that in a way that she had never found in anyone else. And so those qualities that she observed somehow produced a softness in her heart, an openness in her heart that had probably been lost to her years before. Who knows? You know, if she had experienced a lot of, who knows what kind of a family background such a woman had had, who knows what sort of abuse that she had suffered at the hands of whatever numbers of men, but she saw something in him unique, incredible, astonishing, and it opened her heart to what he was offering. She falls at his feet, and she probably seems to me that she just cried out all the hurt and the pain and the grief that had been accumulating in her heart for so very Uh, very long, had been long uh, buried, but their relationship was key. Uh, You and I can rarely, uh, if particularly if if experiencing forgiveness does not come easy to us, we can rarely experience what the scripture is talking about here apart from a deep connection with someone else who displays some of these qualities of Jesus. And that's what the body of Christ, as part, is intended to do. 
We are to grow and mature in our faith so that we can exhibit and display some of these amazing qualities of God. And as people see that, they see the reality of this. This isn't a religious game this person is engaged in. This isn't just some ritual. Somehow, I'm experiencing something different through the life of this person. If that happens, then relationships can grow and depth of connection can grow and all kinds of positive things can result, just like happened with this woman and her relationship uh, with Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Is there uh, some event or bad choice uh, in your life uh, that you uh, is laying long dormant, repressed, buried away, but occasionally pops out, and you know it comes to mind, and then there's just this terrible feeling of remorse and self-flagellation and self-criticism and, and, and guilt? Well, secrets have power over us. Uh, if we have unresolved issues in our past, it, that whole cycle can just continue on and on and on over years. But if, there, if we find a person or persons uh, who displays the qualities of loving kindness and grace and forgiveness, and we enter into that relationship, then there's a possibility for growth and maturity and development and moving through this developmental obstacle in life in, that it's uh, very rarely accomplished apart from that, apart from some just miracle of God. So what I encourage you to do, if this resonates, this particular line of, of teaching resonates with you this morning and you identify yourself in some way, find a group we, of devoted Christians that you trust that, or a person, Christian, that, that you believe is safe, a person with whom you can really communicate, not just about the superficial issues of life, but really what's going on in your heart, in your mind, in some of your struggles, and become a person uh, that a, another can come to that is, retains confidentiality, that is willing to engage in those kind of relationships because if there's sufficient numbers of people and any Christian fellowship who do that, then you have a critical mass uh, in a way that can have a dramatic effect on a congregation and its growth and witness in a given community. So if you're not a part of a small group of some sort, I urge you uh, to do that Find a person, and then uh, I, we, we uh, Rachel Hatfield, uh, one of the counselors, licensed professional counselors, is in our church. Uh, she's a, the greatest girl in the world. She was our youth pastor at Capital Community several years ago. She and Tammy Watkins have a counseling clinic in Capital Paradise, and so if there's issues that you just don't feel like you could ever share apart from even a more private uh, environment, then that's out there for you. Um, developmental obstacle number two, uh, overcoming self-defeating habits and developing productive ones. All of us know as we move through the course of life, different phases of life, we're going to find ourselves getting tripped up by habits uh, that frustrate us, that discourage us, 
a, a way of communicating, a way of responding, you know, some choice in the area of our eating or our sexuality or our, what we're watching on television or the Internet or whatever it might be. Um, and it's very important to figure a way, if we're going to mature as a Christian, how, okay, what are we going to do about this? In my view, one of the most interesting Christian writers in the past 25 years uh, was a Christian psychiatrist named Gerald May. Uh, He passed away a few years ago. He wrote a book called Addiction and Grace, as well as some other books. After he finished uh, med school and his residency, uh, he took a position as the director of a drug rehab clinic. And in that book, Addiction and Grace, he describes his experience uh, over several years of counseling people who had a serious addiction to some sort of drug. He says, after working several years with severely addicted people and applying my best psychiatric methods to their treatment, nothing worked. I was able to help people with their relational and emotional problems, but they remained addicted to chemicals. Since I was passionate about succeeding uh, professionally and was not succeeding, uh, I became depressed. So he began uh, searching uh, for some alternative approaches. I mean, he devoted his life to, you know, in the in the helping profession, trying to help people with these issues, and he, and he wasn't being effective. So he started searching for some alternate approaches and found people who had actually overcome Sometimes very serious uh, at times, drug or alcohol addiction. And as he interacted with them, he says they, virtually all of them attributed uh, their successful rehab to a spiritual experience, which, you know, he, you know, he definitely didn't have that on his uh, radar. So then he began reading widely in a lot of different kinds of Christian literature, uh, of, of religious literature, And then over time, he became a Christian. He started maturing and developing, started affecting the way that he did his life and his work. Um, And as he matured uh, and learned more about addiction, this is one of the statements he made in that book. He said, I then realized that I myself was addicted to a variety of substances, nicotine, Caffeine, sugar, and chocolate. Let's don't go too far on that. (laughs) I was also addicted to work, performance, responsibility, intimacy, being liked, helping others, and an almost endless list of other behaviors. So, as you read some of his material, you can see this is a guy who has looked hard into his own heart. Um, and he has gained a level of self-awareness of some of his own weaknesses and struggles. And as a result, he's been able to do something about them. Denial, if we have an issue that we just, oh man, this is too painful or it's too explosive or it's too problematic it's too much trouble or I might somebody might reject me if I share this in a certain way Um, 
if, uh, if we keep that denied from ourselves or from others, then it has power over us. Very difficult to move in fresh directions if we have that pattern going. And even Paul, the great apostle who wrote a huge amount of the New Testament, at least 12 letters that we believe are divinely inspired, he made a statement about this in his letter to the Romans, chapter 7. And you may not have thought of this passage in terms of some sort of addiction, uh, but essentially it's, it's very, very parallel. He says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, he says, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. And in verse 18 through 20, he says, no matter, and I'm reading out of the New uh, Living Translation, so I don't know what exactly how your translation may read, but he says, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. When I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if I am doing what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it, but the sin within me is doing it. So Paul is very, he's coming clean here, this power of sin that he says that we're under the authority of and that's working in everyone's life. He's coming clean. He says, this is active in me. I'm wrestling. I'm struggling with this. And that's, a, you know, that's, that's pretty astonishing. You know, it's a great apostle that he would be so transparent. And he goes on in verse 23. He says, there is a law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Um, so Paul, in these passages, in fact, this brilliant argument throughout Romans, the letter to the Romans, chapter 1 through 8. He says there's two forces at work in him and in all of us who have believed in Jesus. First, we are justified, we are forgiven, we are accepted, we have an indwelling presence of Jesus that can become even deeper and not in the sense of, of we could say, existentially speaking, but he can become more real to us. He can express himself through us more deeply as we know him more deeply and collaborate and mature. So Paul says, yeah, that's one force at work in me, but there's also this power of sin that keeps dragging me back from the impulses that my new nature leads me toward. But then the good news. He doesn't leave us there. He says... In Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, I'm just, just summarizing some of these verses here. He says, Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We were set free from the power of sin. He, Jesus, died once to defeat sin. So... And his teaching here, he's saying the fact of it is, and it's a very mysterious and but interesting, fascinating language here. He's saying in some sense, when Jesus died, and then through his death and resurrection, 
this power of sin in the world was broken in a foundational way. And for all those who believe, the breaking of that power can become evident in our life. So he goes on in verse 11, and he says, So, or therefore, consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ. So this Greek uh, word, consider yourselves, is in what's called a present progressive uh, tense. It means to just continue, continue considering yourselves. When we make a mistake, when we slip up, when we get off in a bad direction... Go back to the truth. Remind ourselves continually. No, no. Okay, yeah. Right now, maybe what I'm doing, I'm not really pleased with, or my attitudes, or my words, or my behavior, whatever it is. But go back to the truth. Continue considering that I am united to a holy creator. He has broken this power within me. So that's the baseline fact in reality. But then, of course, that's not the whole story. We have to learn how to move forward from that and move into an experience of triumph over these patterns in our life. And the scripture teaches a lot about that. And one of those principles is what we said, number one, uh, guilt and sharing and being open and engaging in these deep relationships. But... uh, um, James chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and you shall be healed. That doesn't, I don't believe, necessarily means some sort of physical healing. If we are engaged in a relationship or a community in which we can come clean and we can experience grace and love and forgiveness and wise counsel and acceptance, And in that community, we can pray and seek the face of Christ together and seek his energizing power and his wisdom uh, in his direction. We can be healed. We can slowly move out of old habit patterns and into what Paul says, the new life in the spirit. Um, Gerald May, the psychiatrist that we mentioned a few minutes ago, discovered that alcoholic Alcoholics Anonymous, in his research, uh, was far more effective initially than his approach to helping people overcome these really destructive patterns in their lives. And as he asked the question, why? It's because they cultivated in their community a ruthless honesty about themselves, to themselves and to their others. And they close relationship, deep communication with other addicts and of course many developed a genuine relationship you know it genuinely encountered God and experienced all the the uh, blessings of that so the closer we can move to that I believe in some sense in appropriate timing with the right people uh, safe people mature people the closer we can cultivate that sort of community that sort of communication that sort of mutual support more we and more rapidly we will grow in maturity both as individuals and as a congregation wherever we may uh, attend or be a part of so simple application today before we pray uh, this morning study the good news 
77 times that word is used in the New Testament. We're just talking about two pieces of it here this morning and, and, and last week. There's lots of facets. It's like that diamond that you turn it in a light and there's all these different brilliant colors that come off of it. So study the letters of Paul. Uh, get his teaching into your bones. There's really not that much material. It's 12 letters, none of which are particularly long. If you get a modern translation and meditate and think, you can begin receiving uh, this teaching, this wisdom from above. And then secondly and simply pray for and develop uh, deep relationships. People with whom you can be ruthlessly honest and who will be honest with you and from whom you can experience the loving kindness and the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus offers all of us uh, through his son. Let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you um, for your extraordinary grace um, that in your timing and the grand flow of history um, that you came among us, that you displayed your character through your only begotten, um, that then you provided a new way, a fresh way, for us to see and discern who you really are and to experience uh, uh, your grace, experience that love and kindness and grace and wisdom. I pray that each of us would grapple with this, uh, continue to grapple with this, that you would reveal yourself more deeply to us, help us mature and grow so that we can over the course of our lifespan become all that you want us to be and collaborate with you fully in whatever specific intentions you have for our individual life uh, in your kingdom program. And we pray in Jesus' name.